slip of paper that if you'd fill out and then just leave it at our welcome center. It's a way that we can serve you by helping you get connected. Your bulletin is full of all kinds of information. I trust you get the Bethlehem Weekly as well and uh, it's already beginning to talk to you about what's happening uh, this fall as we get into our uh, new ministry year. Uh, please look at that. A few things I just want to highlight are the 8th, just two weeks from today, uh, is our f- uh, kickoff Sunday. Our three worship services will be back into full swing along, along with children's and middle school Sunday school. Our adult Sunday school class uh, takes place at this time, uh, beginning on the 8th. Then there's going to be a picnic after this service. A uh, big tent out on our field. They're going to have a bounce castle for the kids and a corn roast and watermelon and grilling. And uh, you're all, of course, more than welcome to come. Uh, just bring a salad or a dessert, depending upon what your last name begins with, and you'll see that in the bulletin. Uh, there's a new emphasis on life group ministry. It's going to be taking place this year. We've been talking about that, and uh, thanks for those who've come forward uh, that are interested in leading one. One more thing I want to say, and then as we get to September, we'll begin to uh, out- unfold this and, and uh, give you an opportunity to join these different groups. Uh, you'll see how that's going to happen. But one more uh, net we're trying to cast because we don't want to miss anybody. If you lead a group, any kind of small group, Um, that we have here at this church, uh, Bible study, small group, life group, whatever, and we have not spoken to you, you have not interacted with Sean McGinnis, we need to know that. We think we have, we just don't want to miss anybody. So uh, if you haven't heard uh, from us, please uh, talk to me, and uh, we want to speak with you about this. And then also, if I could just mention this, we got this from Ellen uh, Putback, who is our Director of Children's Development. Next weekend's Labor Day weekend. We've all got our plans and uh, vacations. And uh, understandably, uh, we're a little short on uh, providing services for our children next Sunday. So it's been a great summer. She's very, very grateful for those that have stepped up and allowed some of our regular teachers to have a break for the summer. But we do have uh, some need next week. We'd love to hold classes next Sunday, especially for our preschoolers. So if any of you would not be traveling next weekend, we'd sincerely appreciate it if you would uh, consider uh, ministry to the little ones. It's not hard to do. You'll, you, you can speak to Alan about this. Program's pretty much set up for you. And so there is a sign-up list uh, out there in the foyer if you'd be uh, available to do that. We'd um, really appreciate it. Now I'd like to pray, and uh, then we want to consider what God has to say to us today. Lord, we welcome you into uh, our presence. Uh, We know that you are here, and we are grateful that you would want to inhabit the praises of your people and to be in the presence of us today as we uh, think about you. So would you teach us? Would you overwhelm us again? with the beauty of your love for us that we have already sung, that we might respond in kind and love you back, even in just the smallest of ways like you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. So do yourself a favor and grab this little sheet of paper that is in your bulletin that uh, has got the notes on it. Uh, Our study this month of Colossians is helping us with an important clarification. God has a lot in store for us, and he's unfolding a plan that we continue to discover. Many things he wants us to grow into that a lot of times we refer to as new. I think we might do better to call those things the next things that he wants for us. Because what we don't want to do is, 
is chase the novel, which can be so easy to do. History tells us that it's so easy to take what God has already done and construe it or add to it or modify it to our liking. And this is what was happening in this city of Colossae that received this letter. The church had come about because uh, the Apostle Paul had been in another city nearby and he was residing there for about a year and a half doing uh, some teaching and there were people going back and forth including a man named Epaphras who studied under Paul and then went to this city and helped this church form. And now years later though they get a letter from the same Paul because the clarity of the message they had received was being muddied by people who were adding these spiritual add-ons, invented requirements, philosophical confounders were, were making things complicated, more dependent upon people, on men, than on God himself. And so into this context, Paul writes what I call a message of next, yes, novel, no. He wants us, as we've walked through this in Colossians, he wants our best. And he showed us at the very beginning of the letter here, of chapter 1, all the good that he has intended for us. And and he wants us to move into that. We lost it, and he wants to bring it back. And in order to do that, he gave us his best. And that was the beginning of uh, the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, where he talked about his son and all of his greatness, this one person in whom dwelled all the fullness of God and he accomplished his sufficient work to bring us back into relationship with him. And then he offers us the best. That's what Scott was talking to you about last week in this freedom that he now gives people who place their faith in this Christ. And now we get to our passage today with this big question. Will we give him our best? So I'd like to read chapter 3 verses 1 to 17, where Paul writes, Since then, because of all that you've heard up until now, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all and is Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, and gentleness, and patience. And bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
There's a lot in this particular passage. Will we give him our best after all that he's done for us? Now, just before I lay on you some unbelievable guilt complex for all that you don't do and that you need to do so that you leave this morning thoroughly browbeaten and feeling horrible about yourself because you're not good enough and you're going to try a little harder this week, which I could do. Maybe I do. (laughs) Maybe that's what you think I am. You know, I want to share with you a couple of secrets that shouldn't be secrets at all, but for some reason they seem to be. A couple of secrets about how God approaches our behavior, how the Bible that he has given to us addresses our behavior. God approaches our behavior, secret number one, as a response to his goodness, not as our being good enough. You know that? Do you realize that? He initiated everything. He sets the example. He shows the way. And when he shows the way of behavior, you know what needs to be done. You know how it is done, and you know that it can be done. And then he's kind enough to record it for us in here and then remind us of all that he's done so that we can respond and follow. This is so important. It's all over Scripture, but let me point out just a couple of them. One of the classics is is in the book of Romans, a verse that a number of you might be familiar with in chapter 12. Beginning, he says, therefore. He starts with this word. Now, what you heard about this last week from Scott. That word's important because it says that something came before that. Well, what came before of it? Before it, 11 chapters. 11 chapters which he defined what it was to, to understand the problem, this sin that we have, and then the salvation that he brought about through Jesus Christ. And then this, what we call sanctification. There's this process of him making us more like himself. And then he lifted our eyes to see him in, in all of his greatness for whatever we can understand in his sovereignty and then he gets to chapter 12 he says, now that you've understood all that remember you see you were in this problem and then I solved the problem and I've begun to change you and make you more like myself and I'm showing you myself as much as you can understand it in my greatness now now therefore just do like I did <laughs> just be like me now, I, I know that's a high standard but that's what he says Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because all of that, he says, in light of God's mercy. Can you see how good he's been? Well then, wouldn't you want to just respond to that in one way, in some ways, in little ways? That's what he's saying. In Colossians 3, it's the same thing. Beginning of this chapter. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. He did it all. It's it's enough. All that he did, he did it. Grabbed you in your sin and he saved you through his salvation and he's walking you through this Christian life to bring you into this glorious place and you positionally actually are already there, hidden in Christ in the presence of God. You're there with Christ hidden in God. Now, since that's already true, wouldn't you want to do some things here that look more like that than this? That's all he's saying, as a natural response. 
Look at what he did, what he did for you. Look at where he is and where you're going. And then just respond in kind in the light of all he's offering. Now, that is big. And this is why I want you to understand this. This is the difference between guilt, guilt, better, good enough for God, and an inspired motivated I feeling guilty about being good enough and being fired out of gratitude to just obey because he did all that for me. Now, Paul even makes this kind of about life and death in these verses. In verse, verses 3 and talks about the life that we have. <clears throat> he says, you, you died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who's your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's the life he's given you. So, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to all this junk down here. He gives new life. Only he could do that. It's positional. It's completed. So we put to death. Only you can do this now here. And we need to be intentional and progressive about that. Now, then he gets this really long list. Okay, so I told you not to feel guilty about all these things, but I don't know, if you're like me and you read this list, okay, I've got to put certain things to death, I've got to rid myself of other things, I've got to, I've got to stop lying, I've got to put on certain things, I've got to close myself in other things, I've got to bear with each other, I've got to forgive other people, I've got to love everybody, I've got to let the peace of Christ dwell within my bodies, I've got to be thankful, I've got to let the word of Christ dwell within me richly, then I've got to sing and, and praise and admonish and whatever I do, I do to the glory of God. Just take that list, go home, you're good for the week. We start to feel guilty again. I mean, there's so much there, right? Okay, but notice, all of these verbs assume time and a process and a progressive work. In this, we find secret number two. So secret number one, of course, was that Our behavior is a response to his goodness, not our being good enough. And number two now is that his work is done while ours is still in process. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. My father had a mentor, Dr. Mortensen, who was always a huge figure in my life because he was such a big figure in my father's life. And he he had been a missionary in China for many years, and then he led this mission organization, and my father was kind of his uh, Padawan, and, and he brought up my dad. My dad took it over. So my dad really respected this man. So I did too, obviously. He was wise and he was old. And, and uh, I had a chance one time. We were at a conference and he was in a wheelchair and I, somebody needed to push him around. I got in an elevator with him by myself for as long as you ride in an elevator, right? And I'm like, I'm not going to lose this chance. So I said to him, Dr. Mortensen, what's the one thing you would want to tell me? I'm a young guy and I'm going into this ministry like he did. And What would you want to tell me? This is what he said. Chinese proverb. Duh. (laughs) He worked in China. Don't fear going slowly. Fear not going at all. Don't fear going slowly. Fear not going at all. Hmm. 
Now, there's still a lot in this list, so let me offer you a guilt-free approach to your next behavior, all of these things that he's listed, and I want to use an image to do so. So speaking of going slowly, I did something last week that's been on a bucket list of mine, kind of a reluctant bucket list, but uh, there's a mountain pass in New Hampshire in the White Mountain National Forest called the Kangamangas Highway. And uh, it is 2,000 feet of vertical elevation over 23 and a half miles of gorgeous winding road, which you're about to see in this next picture here. Now, I have a friend who has been bothering me for years saying that we've got to go pedal the Kangamangas Highway. And to which I said, you're out of your mind. But he kept pestering me, and I've got this crazy little obsession about, you know, pedaling a bicycle. And so he talked me into it. He was available. Come on, we're going to do it. Don't worry about it. So I finally get the bug, and guess what happens? At the last minute, he bails. Nice. But by that point, I was sunk. I, had, I, I wanted to do it, and so I did it. I did it in just under two hours. I averaged 11 miles an hour. Believe me, that's no kind of record here. Nobody was saying, whoa, amazing. But I finished, and I did not stop. And this was my reward. Now, in two weeks from now, you're going to see these pictures even better because we're getting a new projector. And I recognize you can't grasp all the beauty of that. You will in a couple of weeks. I'll put the picture back up. But believe me. It was beautiful. 3,000 feet, you're just looking out over this gorgeous white mountains, and I earned that ride, and that was my reward. Now, there's a point to all of this. Look at your notes, and from this long list on the back side, let's see how we, we, how, see how we can be motivated to respond without being guilted into being good. And my little bike trip is going to help us with this, okay? So here's how I've summed these things up. First of all, some things are executed. Right off the bat, in verse 5, he says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Literally, put to death members which are upon the earth. Some things are just meant to die. And now he lists these. Sexual immorality. This is the Greek word porneia, which covers all kinds of sexual deviancy. Just stop. Kill it. Some things are just meant to die. The next word, passion, lust, is, is pathos. That's, that's the word we use in, in, in medicine for what is a sickness or what makes you sick. Now, I don't care how much of an animal lover you are, you don't mind killing germs, do you? Germs can go. They're just meant to die. Kill them. Like some things in our behavior just gotta die. He puts, uh, puts greed in here, and there's an insidious sense to this. It, Paul calls it idolatry. It's worshiping something else. He's definitive in this kill it. Now, in the summer times, I just love wearing cargo shorts, flip-flops, and a baggy t-shirt. And I do. And if you show up here in the summer, you'll find me dressed that way. And I do it so much, when I get to the fall, my feet don't fit in my shoes because, you know, they're all, you know, 
swelled or whatever from doing this. I love dressing that way. But I couldn't do that on this bike ride. That would have been ridiculous. I have special shoes that crank down and they click into special pedals and and the weight and bulk of clothes when you're doing something like this becomes very important. And I realize that men in spandex is a very frightening thought to most of you. <laughs> you notice I didn't have any pictures of myself up there, just my bicycle. Fine. But wearing my baggy cag, you know, t-shirt and cargo shorts and my flip-flops was not going to get me up that mountain. You just got to have the courage to just kill some things and do something else. Paul is definitive. Have the courage and enjoy the freedom from guilt by just killing it. And this stuff is serious. He even says in verse 6, God's wrath is coming because of some things like this. Some stuff has just got to die. And then he moves on and says some things are expelled. This also is definitive, but it's leading to something else. He says put off or lay aside to a sign to keep there. Instead of these behaviors, you need to make room for some other behaviors. And there's some hope in this. Because when you get rid of these, there's some space for some others. And so he says, you know, now you need to rid yourself of, of this anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and don't lie to each other. But take these things off. Instead of these behaviors, you need to make room for some others. So... Uh, I went to you know, Italy now oh, uh, 20, 30, 30 years ago almost and I took a bike with me it was a pretty decent bike but shortly after I got there an Italian woman in her little Fiat ran me over and destroyed my bike for that reason, uh, insurance money I got a new Italian bike I was very proud of this bike, Italian bike. Are you kidding? There's like, you know, they make the best bikes in the world. And so I loved my bike. I rode that thing for 19 years. I thought it was a great bike. I always thought it was a great bike. I felt it was a great privilege that I got this thing through this accident, much better than I could have ever afforded myself. And yet, towards the end of that time, you know, we come back to the States, I'm still riding the thing around here. I had people riding up next to me, these other guys, and they go, whoa, vintage, yeah. You know, like what? I mean, it had all campy components, if any of you know anything about that stuff. And I mean, I thought this thing was pretty good. And somebody gave me some new shifters so that the, the shifters were on the, on, the, on the brakes. So that was a new development. I mean, I, I thought this thing was pretty good. Another guy rides up to me, yeah, steel is real, dude. Because this thing was made of chromoly or a steel bike. Well, they stopped making those things a long time ago for this kind of biking. Well, I didn't like that. I like my bike. I mean, it's the only one I had. I couldn't afford another one. All right. A few years ago, very privileged to be able to buy a new bike. It's all carbon fiber. The thing's amazing. And I'm saying to myself, wow, this, is, this thing's terrific. You know, I'm going to treat this like the guy that's got the... Uh, like the, the, the redone convertible, you know, that he keeps in his garage and only drives in the summertime, you know, when the weather's good, you know, that's what I'll do. And, and then when the roads are dirty or wet or something, I'll, I'll ride that one. Yeah, got on that bike the first time, never going back. Sorry, just not happening. The old one sits in the garage. I even gave some of its wheels away to somebody back here the other day who wants to do something weird with the wheels. But so, because you know why? I'm not going, I, are you kidding? Once you try this new one on, you are not going back. Lighter, faster, sleeker, unbelievable. 
You see, this is what happens. We switch one thing for another. And that's what he wants us to do. But you're not ready for the new unless you get rid of the old. And some things are exchanged then, he says. Put on the new self. This is a picture of, of clothing yourself and sinking into a new garment. Or, if I can stretch it a little, hopping on this bike that's just a whole lot better than the last one and going, whoa, I don't want any more of that. I want this. And with the new comes a real difference, a change, a renewal that's noticeable. And I want you to see verse 11. It's interesting that he throws this in here. Many times this verse is just yanked right out of this context for all kinds of different reasons. But it's in this context of God changing a person because they've set some stuff aside to try on some others. Look at what he says in verse 11. There is here, there's no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, northerner, southerner, you know, Chinese, Korean, Swedish, Italian. We're all the same in this. All the same. Anybody, wherever you've been, wherever you've been coming from, no matter how messed up your life has been, no matter how good you think you've been, every, everybody fits into this. There's a renewal process that God wants to do in you. It's never too late, and it's never too soon to start. So, some things are exchanged, and then some things are expressed and experienced in verses 12 to 14. And now he lists these things. Kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiving as you've been forgiven. The beauty of these particular terms is they become reflexive, and that's why I said some are expressed and experienced. Proverbs 15.1 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. You ever experienced that? You've been really angry and then you, you go to somebody and then they're really kind to you and now you don't know what to say. <laughs> You're like, oh no, you know, I, was, I was ready for a fight and now they're just like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I do that? I'm, I'm really sorry. I, oh, now what are you going to do? Right? It, it becomes reflexive. All of a sudden, you can't help but go, well, well it really wasn't that bad. I mean, but you know... <laughs> You see, it just softens you. And, and these things become that, that way. If you will express these things, you experience them and somebody else begins to reflect them back to you as well. And this was really my experience. Like I said, I didn't set any records. It doesn't matter. The fact is, I did it. And you haven't done it. And you don't know anything about what it's like. And you can't because you weren't there and you didn't do it. It's something you have to do in order to experience it. I could do it again. I could do better next time. I could do worse. Who knows? Nobody knows what I experienced in that except for those who did it. And my friend, you know, couldn't go, and it was a very legitimate reason why he couldn't go, but, you know, when I got to the top of the hill, I was less than, you know, uh, kind and compassionate and humble and gentle and patient and forgiving. I texted him and went, Nana, Nana, boo, boo, there's the sign, you know, and these are the stats, you know. And we do not have that shared experience. But I met two guys. Don't ask me their names. We're guys. We don't ask each other names, okay? But I met two guys when we were riding, when I was riding, and they were, you know, a whole lot faster than me and everything else. But we have a shared experience. We have a shared experience. All of a sudden, we have something in common. Never seen them. If we'd seen each other in any other place and time or anything else, would have meant nothing. Wouldn't have talked to each other. We're guys. Why would we do that? 
But now all of a sudden we had something in common and we had a shared experience and we talked about it. We didn't talk about each other. We talked about the wind and the road and the times and the, you know, but there was something that we had. You see, this is what happens when you start to do these different things. You stretch yourself and step into these things. You'll get to it in a minute, but not because you have to, but because you want to. Then it starts to change all kinds of things, including the way people respond to you as together you share that experience. That's why so much change can come in a person's life when they give themselves to Christ. Because as they change, they begin to change people around them. So, and then all things at the very end are to be exalting the name of Christ. Whatever. And that that word means anything at all. You see the progressive nature of that? Whatever you do, any little thing, do it all to the name of Christ. I mean, to the glory of Christ. Do it all in His name. And that's anything. Any little thing. The funniest thing happened while I was writing that I did not expect. I found myself praying. Well, but I wasn't praying that it would be over. Because that's what you're thinking. Yeah, he's just praying, oh no, what's the top of the mountain? That wasn't it. I found myself praying because it's a long ride and it's, and then, you know, I'm all by myself and I'm going along and guess who came to mind? You did. Some of you specifically. Yeah, problem people. No, I'm just kidding. Honestly. I just, people came to mind. And I started praying. You know, when you're going and blood starts going to parts of your brain that don't get, you know, and then thoughts came to mind and different things. And I found myself praying for you generally and and some of you very specifically. I mean, this goofy little thing that I wanted to do, God redeemed for his purposes in the funniest little way, so that even this was glorifying to God in that little way. Do anything that you do, no matter how big or small, all to the glory of God. So here's my point in all of this changed behavior that we're to be exhibiting. I didn't do what I did because I had to. I did it because I wanted to. God's given me this goofy little passion for pedaling a bicycle. And I'm blessed enough and had the opportunity to do it, so I did it, and I did it because I wanted to. I mean, one of the guys that was Wes, he's on vacation, but I told him what I was going to do, and he looks at me and goes, why would you do that? (laughs) Because I want to. By most standards, it was mediocre. Who cares? It was mine. Slowly, crank after crank, I did it. I did it because I wanted to. Now listen, if you have let God forgive you and pay the price of his wrath against you for your sin, then he has given you a strange little pleasure inside too. And that is to do something in return. To want out of gratitude to please him, even in the littlest of ways. Isn't that true? I know you know it. If you you know this forgiveness, you've, you've been humbled by this great love of God towards you and you say, wow, I, I should do something in response. You can't do enough. You'll never be good enough. But you just, you got a little flame in there that wants to say, thank you. And I want to do this for you because of what you've done for me. Now, unfortunately, most of the time, we end up beating ourselves up because we don't do enough. We're not good enough. We put ourselves up against that list and go, oh, forget it, I'll never make it. Don't worry about going slowly 
worry about not going at all. Just do a little bit. Just respond out of gratitude. Look at those things and say, you know what? I want you to know I love you and I'm going to show you that this way. You don't do it because you have to. You do it because you want to. God approaches our behavior as a response to his goodness, not our being good enough. He just wants you to look back and behave back that says, thanks. And I'm going to try and be a little more like you. And your work is done, it's complete, and I am hidden with Christ in God, in heaven. But for now, I'm going to see what else I can do to glorify you in the littlest of ways. So you'll see on the bottom of your sheet there a question. What do you want? Not because you have to, but because you want to. What do you want to put to death this week? What do you want to get rid of this week? What do you want to exchange this week so that as you set something aside, something else can come in? What do you want to express this week in these characteristics? How do you want to exalt his name this week? We got a couple of minutes, and I want you to do that because we're going to then, you know, get going and everything. And you don't have to write it down. You could. Don't look at anybody else's paper. It's like a test. You don't have to, though. Just think about it. I'm going to give you a couple minutes, and I want you to think. Don't worry about going slowly. Worry about not going at all. And think of something that has stood out to you in this that you could do in response, in gratitude. Don't do it because you feel guilty. Do it because you want to express gratitude for a God who loved you that much. So make a mental note or two. I'm going to give you a couple minutes of silence. Then I'm going to pray. And then... Let's enter into this week grateful. Not guilty, but motivated to take another crank, to move another step, to glorify God even in the smallest of ways. Think about what you want to do.
Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your immense love. It's immeasurable. What you've done for us is just so incredible. And how grateful we are that it was sufficient. It was enough. We can't ever be good enough. And you knew that. So in all of your goodness, you were that good enough for us. What you did in Christ Jesus was sufficient. It was enough. And we know that faith in that means we are with Christ hidden in you in heaven. Forgiven. Someday transformed into perfect people once again. We thank you for that, but we're also thankful that you are working in us that transformation process right now. And you want us to take little steps, little things, one after the next, just moving forward as slowly as it might be to become more like you. I pray that your spirit would be working in every heart and mind here to accomplish that. But the little things that we have told you marked down for ourselves that we want to kill or rid or exchange or express, exalt this week and we would have all that's necessary to do that. You'd give us the courage and that your spirit would work in power so that in the, the end of the week we can look back and say, wow, you made me a little more like you. And may that just make us thirsty and hungry to become more and more like your son who died for us and loved us drew us back into relationship with you and as we do may you receive all the glory in Jesus name we pray amen Scriptures call Jesus the Good Shepherd, who uh, watches over his flock. And there's another place in the Bible where it talks about the world, and it says they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 